Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So it's just from Matthew chapter 7, uh, 15 to 29. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the ones who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the stand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Super. Right, Matthew is going to come and preach. I'm going to pray for him as he comes. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, even though our seasons change and our church services change, your word never changes. Thank you, Lord, that you said that heaven and earth will disappear, but none of your words will disappear. Thank you that there's a constancy uh, in your word that is a stability and a foundation for our lives. So speak to us now through Matthew, through the scriptures, and by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey everyone, not sure if I'm on, I am on, that is amazing. Guys, for everybody online, I need to sort this stand out, because I'm only five foot five, and that is terrible, being Steve's colleague. Guys, I I don't know what you thought of this morning with the weather being so super frosty. I got up at at 7am, did a little bit of work, but I actually didn't open the curtains until 11 I never opened the curtains, it got a scare of my life whenever I saw the frost. The thing is, the frost is beautiful, but it reveals spider webs. And so I did not know that I had as many spider webs in my balcony or on my balcony until I saw that this morning. So it's interesting what, uh, what, what the frost reveals. Anyway, we, we come to our, our very last uh, talk in the Sermon on the Mount this week. We've explored Jesus' teaching. Uh, to his followers on the mountainside. See, he's in the mountainside. The weather is super warm, no doubt. And he's described what life in the kingdom looks like for those who have already entered. So he's highlighted, I guess, over the last six weeks or seven weeks, the privileges and the demands of of what it is to be a kingdom-minded follower of Jesus. In the world that prioritizes self over others, the world that prioritizes comfort and convenience over the cost, or that prioritizes treasures and material things over what I would call today, um, I guess, surface-level judgments. 
So you've got, you've got treasures and material things instead of the kingdom of God. And then in Matthew 7, it chats about these uh, judgments, well, about judging others, about judging yourself. And, and guys, there's kind of three areas here. And we're going to be looking at what I would suggest as surface level judgments. But anyway, I, I guess the Sermon on the Mount is the closest thing that you and I will get to Jesus' manifesto. And so Jesus lays out this alternative uh, lifestyle for his followers in Palestine. And guys, he calls us to the exact same one today. Sure, it might have different nuances and how it's worked out in 21st century Dublin, but he, he calls us to the very same thing. So the, the last two weeks, we have looked at Matthew chapter 7 concerning judgment and the need for proper discernment, uh, both of ourselves and for others. And you know, saw that Steve two weeks ago showed us so helpfully uh, how it's so key to discern our own hearts before first attempting to correct somebody else's. And then last week, we, we kind of considered that discernment and required and making decisions that would lead to either destruction or lead to life. Uh, a, a, a broad road or a, a, a narrow road, a hard road or an easy road, a road of compromise and a road of comfort or, or the hard, narrow road that would infringe on your priorities, infringe on your comforts, infringe on your commitment. And so as we cl- come to close off this series today, Jesus once again encourages his followers to be discerning about who they're following, what their motivations are, and where their ultimate foundation is placed. So we're going to look at these three, and I guess, who who are you following is my first question. Take a look beneath the surface, in other words. He's saying, be careful, because a wolf can be disguised in sheep's clothing. Therefore, it's it's hard to identify. And notice the surface. It's what's on the appearance. And so if you're going to make a sound judgment church, then you've got to look beneath the appearance. And, and he continues, and he's like, consider a tree. A tree is given away by the character and the content of its fruit. There's no hiding it. There's your resolution. There's your answer. Look at, look at the tree. So that's how you'll discern the disguised wolf. Look for the fruit that's going to be bore. Church, the health of a tree is revealed by the quality of the fruit. The health of the tree is revealed by the quality of its fruit. Look at verse 17. Jesus says, Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear uh, good fruit. But every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by your fruit you will recognize him. Jesus sums it up. Every healthy tree bears good fruit. And we have this call to look and see We'll recognize them, we'll discern them by their fruit. Remember, Jesus is teaching this in the light of the burden and the demand that the Pharisees and the religious people, the churchy people of the day, placed uh, upon upon these people in in order to get to God. You've you've got to do this to get to God. They make it so much more difficult to get to God. The religious leaders made it harder to obey the law and they added in these extra things where you, you had to keep the law to the nth degree in order to be good enough. The religious leaders majored on the externals but neglected the heart. So they were doing all the right things. They were ticking all the boxes but their motivation and their deeper desires beneath the surface left a lot to be questioned. And they're the same guys who Jesus later describes as hypocrites. Why? Because they clean the outside of the cup They keep everything on the outside clean, but on the inside they're full of greed and full of self-indulgence. Jesus has a serious hard word to say about the the Pharisees. And so 
I guess similarly, are, are you following or are you becoming like those who care for the externals? Maybe care for the appearance of things to be right or um, are, are more concerned with the, with the heart? Perhaps you, you, you find that you're quick to rush to judgment based upon appearances. Or, or maybe that you're finding that the more and more you fall in love with Jesus, the more and more you worship Jesus, the slower you are to rush to judgment and the quicker you are to search out somebody's heart. I'd encourage you, church, to hold me, to hold our leaders to account. But in doing so, look for the fruit, not the appearance. And to our staff team, to our leadership team, to our advisory board, hold us account that we might be a church that is more concerned for the health of the heart than acts of obedience. May our family be a family that's concerned about the condition of our hearts rather than the externals of the box ticking exercises. And so I guess, what are your motivations? I've just got a notification there to say Mayo or through to the All-Ireland final. I'm so sorry. That's a terrible distraction. What are your motivations? Jesus has used metaphors previously of wolves and sheep, trees and fruit, and now he comes to a person. And I guess it's like a case study Verse 21, look at it in your Bibles if you've got it open. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice the surface level lip service. The appearance, it's easy, it's for everybody to see. And 21 continues, but, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Notice what's under the surface. Notice it doesn't say that, that those who do the works of the Father will, uh, who is in heaven. It says the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Guys, the condition of the heart is revealed by its submission to the will of the Father. The condition of the heart is revealed by its submission to the will of the Father. If you want to test your heart or, or see just kind of what condition it is, I'd encourage you to submit to the will of the Father. And verse 22 goes on, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Guys, unless the will of the Father is your deep motivation, then the works for the Father will be completely futile. Being in the will of the Father is greater than doing the works for the Father. The will is greater than the works. And the use of the word knew, I never knew you, is an intimate form. It's, it's, it's not merely a head knowledge. It's not a knowledge about or, or a knowledge of but to know experientially, to know uh, existentially. It's like a relationship between a husband and wife. It's an intimate know. And he says, I never knew you. And again, notice the appearance and notice what's under the surface. Sure, they, they did all the right things, but Jesus says, I never knew you. He's looking straight beneath the surface. He knows the motivations. Having the appearance of doing what is right and everything being all well on the outside, but been absolutely rotten on the inside. And Jesus is pointing out the very same thing in the lives of the disciples and in our lives today. What motivates you? What motivates you, church? Guys online, what, what motivates you? What's your deeper underlying motivation for what you do? Are you living and acting for the applause of others? The, the very thing that people do to show off their own kingdom, their own righteousness, their own achievements, which actually doesn't begin at all in the heart of God. 
Or are you someone that's doing the right things? You're keeping all the boxes ticked, making sure you get along to church a couple of times a month, keeping up appearances, all while not knowing the heart of God, all while not being in tune with the heart of God, all while not actually knowing what God's motives, his kingdom, or his desires are. And Jesus doesn't deny that these people do things which, which are great. The things are great. And they're expected from Christians, absolutely. But he says that they didn't do the will of the Father. Why? Because their, their, their hearts and their motivation was wicked. Christ City Church, this discernment needs to take place, first of all, with ourselves, first and foremost. I was thinking of, of, of doing some sort of illustration, like everybody having some shaving foam and we draw a circle around each other and, and, and we're saying, right, God, bring revival. Start here, start in a circle. We might do that a different week since we can't sing. But why do we do the things we do? To serve in a platform, to, to be known by others, for the applause of others, or because we know God and we want to become more like him? Guys, if, if our acts of service, if my acts of service do not come from a heart of submission, then we're no different than the Pharisees. We're no different than the religious leaders. And it's tempting right now to think of somebody else. Maybe somebody else is in your mind. I'd encourage you, put that person out of your mind and maybe consider yourself. The challenge is for us personally, what lies beneath the surface? What is the deeper motivation for coming to church, perhaps? The deeper motivation for maybe serving on a monthly rota? Is, is it to, to come to church to have a, a, a community of friends in the city centre? Is it because you know it's something you ought to do? Maybe, maybe your, your parents drilled it into you as kids. You've got to go to church. These are all good things or semi-good things, of course, but it shouldn't ever be the driving force. And then at the end of, the, of this, in another version, Jesus said that, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's really intriguing because they, they don't do the will of the Father, even though they were doers. And they did things that were the works of the law. So everything looked good. They were doing the works of the law. This is so scary, guys. I, I don't know how you feel, but I'm thinking, wow, these guys did the works of the law. If, if, they, were, if they were here today in 21st century Dublin, they'd probably be sitting in some of these spare seats, perhaps. They did the things, but they weren't in the will of the Father because of their motivation. There's a thread running of, of a deeper or a greater righteousness that Jesus has been weaving throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount. And the key, I guess, to catch this thread is discerning of ourselves as well as the hearts and lives of others. And so, guys, that, that should challenge us to seek our hearts, to discern what our deep motivations are. And then we, we jump into this last section where, where Jesus provides a, a, a parable where there's two choices. What, what foundation will you build your life on? So what's your foundation? So who are you following? What's your motivation? And then what's your foundation? It's probably one of Jesus' most famous parables. He, he follows on from the good and the bad fruit, right and wrong hearts, to the primary issue. Upon what is your foundation based? Get this right and you'll do well, I promise. You can quote me on that. Get this wrong and you're in trouble. Again, I promise that and you can quote me on that. On the surface, the, the house or the two houses appear the same. Perhaps they have the same builder, the same design, same type. On the surface, everything is the same. The main difference is what's under the surface. The text only tells us that the foundation is different. It's the only distinction we're given. One is built on the rock and the other on the sand. 
We see that the rains, the storms come, the waters rise. And church, how often have you felt like this? How often have you felt like that in 2020? The storms and the pressures of life are here. And everything seems to be even more exaggerated this year. I think, I think Jesus has a dual meaning here and that he's suggesting that, that these trials and these pressures, these troubles are part of the normal life that everybody will experience. But then there's also the bigger picture of the judgment to come. And, but in both cases, the storms come no matter what, but look what the storms reveal. The wise person builds their house on the rock and when the storms come, it stands. The foolish person builds their house on the sand and when the storm comes, it says, great is the fall of it. So you see both houses, you have this surface level again. Everyone can see it. Everything looks normal. It looks grand. But take a look at the rock and the sand. It's actually the, the deeper level. It's the heart level. Lives built on the lordship of Jesus and his righteousness will stand. Amen. Amen. Guys online, we just got a great amen from everybody in person. <laughs> Lives built upon the lordship of Jesus and his righteousness will stand, amen? amen? But lives built upon any other foundation will ultimately crumble, amen? Amen. It's so sad, but it is, it's true. The foundation is determined by what we read in verses 24 and 26. Jesus says these words twice. Everybody who hears these words of mine... Guys, what we do with Jesus' life and teaching will ultimately shape our destiny. You know, at Caesarea Philippi, uh, Jesus is kind of standing on a, on a big rock and he's saying to his disciples, what, what do people say the son of, or who do people say the Son of Man is? And they respond, some say he's Elijah, others say he's John the Baptist, still others say he's Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus turns to him and says to him, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, I guess a bit of the mouthpiece, the spokesperson, he says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. You know, Jesus goes on to say to him, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. And you know, it's, it's, it's easy to think, okay, Peter's the rock, Jesus is going to build the church on Peter. Jesus is actually saying the rock is Peter's confession that you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God. The rock in question is Peter's confession that Jesus is the Messiah. Guys, I want to tell you the only requirement to enter the church or the body of Christ is this, is Jesus your Messiah? Is he both your Lord and your Savior? Peter's confession was enough, and I tell you today, your confession is enough. And so Jesus goes and he ends the Sermon on the Mount with this parable of the, 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 the two houses. But he leaves it open. Like many of his parables, he leaves it completely open. We, we don't know uh, well, how the disciples responded. We don't know how the other hearers responded. We haven't got it neatly wrapped up. But it's left with a hanging question. His hearers have to make a decision. And we have to make a decision. And, and I guess, what will your decision be? Where will you build your life? Do you want to walk down a path that's going to lead to destruction even though it's comfortable and even though it's popular? So church, I, I challenge you this evening to stand on the mountain to see God more clearly. To stand on the mountain to see yourself more clearly. 
to stand on the mountain to see one another more clearly and then make a discerning decision. The most discerning decision that you're going to make today, even this week in your life, is to say to Jesus, I choose you. I choose you to be my king, to be my life, to be my rule, to be my reign, to be my motivation, to be my source of life. And I challenge you, church, who are you following? Whether it's in social media, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in church perhaps, or even life in general, who are you following? Who's your primary influence? Who are you becoming like? Who are you picking up these phrases like? What are your deeper motivations for what you do? What's been revealed this year by your response to crisis? What's been revealed this year by your response to uncertainty, to perhaps to deferred hopes and dreams? What does this suggest that your foundations are built upon? Guys, I want to tell you the storms of life are absolutely evident, evident, and they're inevitable. They are going to come. The only sustainable preparation that you and I can do is to anchor ourselves in Jesus, that solid rock. So will will you stand with me as I pray? Guys, if if you're online and you feel comfortable, I'd love you to stand as well. I totally get it if you don't, but feel free to. Jesus, I, I proclaim you as both my Lord and my Savior. And so guys, wherever you're at, please stand, close your eyes, just wherever you are, and pray in the spirit these words from the Sermon on the Mount. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just let them words uh, wash over you. Your kingdom come, Jesus, your kingdom come, Jesus, your will be done on earth as it is on heaven. Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in me, in Matthew, in Christ City Church, wherever we are right now, whether it's in the room or online, wherever we are, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in me, in Christ City Church, in Dublin, in Ireland, on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, we invite your rule and your reign and as we, as we close off the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, may our lives be radically altered because of who you are and because of what you have done. Jesus, we thank you that it is the, the confession of you being Lord and Savior that grants us entry into the kingdom. That we do not have to tick things off, that we do not have to do things, that we do not have to attain to a certain measure, we do not have to dress a particular way, we do not have to say the right words, but rather Jesus is simply this confession that you are Lord and Savior that grants us entry into the kingdom of God. And so God, I pray your kingdom would be so evident in our lives that we would be carriers wherever we go this Christmas season. Jesus, I thank you that you are the hope of the world and we get to be carriers of that hope wherever we go. In your name, amen.